Uh, today's scripture reading is from Second Peter 1, 1 through 11. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with, all, with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped, having escaped from the corruption that is, that is in this world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For, this, for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an, an entrance into the, king, into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, I know what you're thinking. That's not Matthew, what the world's going on. Um, I'm going to explain it to you. Don't worry about it. Everything's fine. Um, everything's as, as God would want it. So let me pray, and then we'll, we'll go into Second uh, Peter. I'm really pumped about this text, and uh, I'll explain to you what's going on. Let's pray, though. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this time that we can look at this text of Scripture, Second Peter, and really examine sanctification, really examine what it means to walk with Christ and know that we're in the faith, making our calling and election sure. So, Lord, be with us now as we study. I, I pray, Lord, for myself that you would you would help me. Uh, that you would help me speak only your words, that you would fill me with the power of the Spirit, and that every word I proclaim would be helpful, would be useful, and the ones that, that wouldn't be, Lord, you would keep me from saying those. And, and that um, through this, through the, the studying of your word, that everyone here, including myself, would have a greater faith in the gospel, would have a deeper walk with Jesus because of this. Start with me, Father. I, I need you desperately in my life. We love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we've been studying through the book of Matthew now for about seven months. And um, about 17 sermons ago or so, we studied the Sermon on the Mount. And at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, which we kind of talked about last week, um, as Jesus is finishing his conclusion on the Sermon on the Mount, he really kind of presses the gas pedal pretty hard and ends with this, this uh, 
conclusion with an exclamation mark about what it means to be in the faith. And he finishes that specifically with with Matthew chapter seven, uh, verses 14 through 29, where he has four little examples of what it means to be in the faith. And he <clears throat> we went through them and we saw that it's, it's pretty tough uh, to read and pretty, pretty deep understanding or a pretty deep teaching of, of what it means to be in the faith. And so after we finished specifically the Sermon on the Mount, chapters five through seven, um, and those last two sermons where we were finishing the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew seven, Jesus had some really tough things to say to us. And so after finishing chapter seven, Jesus really pushed us to think about our salvation and whether we're truly in the faith or not. Um, That was one of the things that he was wanting to do is kind of draw this dividing line. It's either this one or this one. And so um, I thought that it would be good for us after we we looked at those hard teachings from Matthew chapter seven for us to examine um, what it means and to understand what it means to be sanctified, to go through this process of sanctification, um, what it means to, to go through it and to have a biblical view of what sanctification really looks like. So after the last two weeks of maybe <laughs> being convinced that we're not in the faith, <laughs> after looking at those very, very hard teachings from Matthew chapter 7, um, I really, and that we might not be Christians, I want us to really look at Second Peter 1, 1 through 11, and look at these, these teachings of Jesus about what it means to be in the faith and what sanctification looks like in our life. Because um, the end of Matthew 7 causes us to think about sanctification. It really does. There's no other way that we can think. Am I in the faith or not? Well, if you are in the faith, then you must be sanctified. And so what I wanted to do here, God's provided an awesome text for us in Second, in second Peter. Um, and so we, w- we want to look at this and understand. Now, we will get back to Matthew. Uh, it won't be next week. It'll be in a month or so because we're also going to do some vision kind of stuff. Um, and then we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 8 very soon um, in a month or so. But... Anyway, I wanted to kind of give you an idea of what's going on right now. We, we won't be uh, in Matthew for a little bit. We're doing we're doing Second Peter today. We're going to have a, a three week study on the book of Haggai uh, the next three weeks that Jack is going to preach, which I'm really super pumped. Jack is a, a, just an awesome Bible teacher. I went to seminary with him. He's going to be here teaching us in the book of Haggai. And then I'm going to do some mission stuff and then we'll get back to Matthew chapter eight. So anyway, um, We've, we've come here to Second Peter, and what I want us to do is think about what it looks like whenever we become a Christian. Whenever we become a Christian, um, every one of us wants to have a changed life. Uh, we would all agree that now that I'm a Christian, I want to uh, have some of the things that were in my life go away the sinful things and begin to do more things that are more Christ-like to, to look and feel and act like Jesus. Um, and so when we read Matthew seven and we're saying, and he's saying, somebody is going to stand in front of me and you're going to say, I did all these things. And he's going to say away from me. I never even knew you. Then I thought it would be good to look at this and get a good understanding. Now, um, the goal of our life, which we'll see, uh, we saw already in the text in, in verse three, uh, God calls us into his own glory. That's, that's kind of a little phrase there in verse three. So one of the goals that we know in our life is that we're supposed to be living lives that are reveling in the glory of God. And um, not only reveling in the glory of God, but wanting others to see the glory of God and calling them by the power of the spirit to to see the glory of God, of how of how great God is and that they would want to start living for him. So um one of the things that, that was addressed in the last couple of weeks is nominal Christianity. And let me just kind of give you uh, an, 
the way I see nominal Christianity in America is like this. Uh, a while back, JC went to my daughter. She's seven. Um, she went to a, a doctor's appointment for, for an allergist. And th- she's actually just recently gone. But before that, she went. And after it was over, um, we, we sat in there forever. And finally, after it was all over, the, the doctor came in after hours of making her really upset. Um, he, she comes in and she, she sits down with this really, really concerned look. Now, here's the thing. Um, JC at the time had eczema, which just means, you know, like her skin itched. That's all. She had eczema. Well, we wanted to fix that. And so they stick her. They do all these things. She comes in. She sits down. Um, she pulls up the chair. She looks at us with this really concerned look. Like she's ready to break us to us the worst news ever that we're going to get. And she sits and she says, okay, um, we're going to have a very outlined plan for her. We're going to get some lotions. We may have to go to shots. We're going to probably um, get lots of appointments. There's going to be a support group. Here's some information for that. And she's going into all this kind of stuff like a support group. And I'm thinking, wait a second. She's just got some eczema. What are you talking about? She's, she keeps going on and on. I'm like, all right, all right, that's good. Um, and we kind of stop. I kind of take the step back and I'm thinking, is, is this really like the commitment level that I want to make for this? This is this seems like a big, huge commitment level. We're talking about like appointments for support groups for my, my daughter's eczema. Um, and I I think that what's happened is in Christianity, especially when we come to know Christ, um, we start seeing, you know, as you read the Bible, there's commands and there's there's things you're supposed to be doing. There's things you're not supposed to be doing. And all these commands and all these things kind of pour, pour on you from the Bible. And all of a sudden you're thinking, wait a second now, is this is this is this the kind of commitment level I'm ready to make in my life? And then when you when you if anybody steps steps into that and says, no, I'm not. And they kind of t- start taking the step back. They find themselves in nominal Christianity. Nominal Christianity, they find themselves, um, yeah, I'm a Christian in name only, but I'm not really ready to make this big, huge lifetime commitment to follow Jesus. And then whenever you read texts like Matthew 7, you get yourself really, really scared. And so what I want to do here today is talk about sanctification. Now, let me give you a little quick word of what that means in case you don't know. Um, What happens whenever you become a Christian, whenever you put your faith in Jesus, God has declared you righteous. And so you are now called justified or declared righteous or innocent or holy or whatever you want to call this. This is called justification. Um, Then after that, from the moment that you've been justified and you are in Christ and that's a for sure thing and that will never change. That moment until you die, you go through this little process called sanctification. Now, you can already see the difference between the two. Justification happens in an instant. Sanctification happens for the rest of your life. That's a huge difference in chronology. Um, One happens in a second. Um, We're regenerated and we're justified. We're regenerated, we put faith in Jesus, and we're, we're justified. The rest is sanctification. Now, as instant as justification is, we all want sanctification to be as instant as that. We all want to be, like, sanctified as fast as we were justified. And that's just not how it works. We actually are sanctified through a long process. God takes us and shows us many selfish realities in our life, shows us where we have sin and we, we feel like Paul in Romans 7 the things I want to do I don't do the things I don't want to do I do those and we, we go through this long process called sanctification um, the, the way Wayne Grudem defines the word sanctification is this it's a progressive work man it's so key to remember progressive it is really your whole life after you become a Christian it's going to take your whole life. So cut yourself some slack and give yourself some grace that we're going to... Anyway, a progressive work of God 
and man. All right, so this is a little bit interesting as well. It's a progressive work of God and man. So while regeneration and justification are an act of God, and then your one day glorification where God completely erases all your sin and you're glorified is of God. All those things are things that God does. Sanctification is a progressive work of God and man. So while everything else is done by God, sanctification is done by God. And we're going to get into this as we look at the text today. But man also does something. It's a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. So what we're finding is that we are sinning less and less. Now, I'm not saying that we're ever going to get perfect, but this process of sanctification means that we are sinning less and less and we're becoming more and more like Jesus. All right. So that's what sanctification is. And what I want us to see here in the text today is I want to show you five different remarks about sanctification. Five different things about sanctification that that I want you to see. Now, we're in Second Peter, so um, this is happening in a big, huge biblical meta narrative. I don't want to just kind of drop in and not let you have any idea what's going on. Um, but this letter is written by Peter, who was an apostle of Jesus. Um, this is after the cross, after after Christ had died on the cr- cross and had ascended into heaven. And then in those very beginning times, um, this was written somewhere probably around the year 68. Um, so roughly 30, 35 years after Christ had died. Um, Peter wrote this letter. This is in response to his first letter. And he's writing to Christians. Um, a, a dispersion had happened where there's they're in one central location and a lot of uh, suffering and persecution had had happened to them. And so they found themselves kind of wanting to get away from from death. So they dispersed themselves. And Peter, knowing that as they disperse themselves, are going through some 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 questions on what it means to be a Christian. He's writing a letter to them. And this letter um, is is pretty much right before Peter died. Uh, he writes this letter writing from a Roman prison. He knows that he's going to die soon. And these are words of wisdom on the gospel and what, how that looks in your life from a dying man. Now, um, we're going into especially uh, these first few verses, um, we are going to see some major, major tension. It's just tension and mystery is something that as Christians, as you, as we all uh, go through in our life and we start seeing in our, in in the Bible, it's just something that we're going to have to say, you know what, that's just, that's, that's what's going on. Like there's going to be tension. There's going to be mystery. And I, as a believer in Jesus, am going to have to learn to live with that. Um, I'm not going to have every answer. Some of the things I'm going to have answers to, some of the things I'm not going to have answers to. Um, Something just came, I'm going to keep going. Uh, All right, uh, you got to be careful what you go to, rabbit trails. All right, so let's look at, uh, let's start in verse 3, and we're going to see some of the tension that starts happening here, all right? And you're going to really see it in these first two points. I said there's five points, and the the big, huge tension is going to happen in in points number one and two. But I want you to see it. All right, and we just have to learn to live with it. So here's here's verse 3. His divine power, this is great news. This is the gospel right here. His divine power has granted to us, this is talking about God, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 
through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory. Just notice that he's always calling him to himself, calling us to his own glory. The best gift that he can give is to show us his glory and let us revel in that and love that and find joy in that and and let that be our treasure. So he's calling us in. But verse three especially says his divine power has granted. Notice, Notice the verb tense there. He has granted already to us. All things that pertain to life and godliness Um, down to verse four, by which he has granted again, notice the, the tense there. It has happened already. He has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped again right there from the corruption that is in the world because of this because of sinful desire. So you can see the verb tenses are what's going on here in this first thing. He has granted to you all things that pertain to life and godliness. He has given you already in Christ holiness. You are granted godliness. It is a for sure thing. It's there. You don't have to work for it. Justification is what we're talking about. He has granted to it to you already. Now, sanctification is the process of working out or working from that fact that you've already been justified. So here's the first thing that you need to have, and it needs to be grounded in you from the very beginning. The first remark on sanctification is this. Um, God has absolutely granted to you your sanctification. He has absolutely granted to you your sanctification. That's huge. That's, that's an awesome thing to know already. That you don't have to wonder, well... You know, sanctification is this process of whenever I get saved and then the very end and I I find myself sinning less and I find myself becoming more like Christ. I wonder if that's going to happen to me. I wonder. I don't know. Is that is that something that maybe happens to a lot of Christians, 75 percent of the Christians, 99 percent of the Christians and I'm the one that it's not? No, all Christians, 100 percent of Christians will be sanctified. Let me put you let me put a couple Bible verses underneath that. Um, They won't be on the screen. I'm just going to read them to you and just just. Listen to these things, because we have to if we don't start with this very first thing, if we don't ground the gospel already in your life that you are completely and it has you are completely justified and God has already granted to you your whole sanctification. Then we're going to really get confused as we go on and we're going to turn into little legalists. We're going to turn into big, huge works, righteousness kind of people. We want to want to shy away from thinking that righteousness comes through works. All right. So here's here's a couple other texts. Um, I'm sure you know this one. Philippians one, chapter six. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you talking about um, Christ in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He will bring it to completion. It's going to happen. There's no question. Philippians one, six. Here's another one. Uh, uh, I got two more. First Thessalonians five. First Thessalonians five, twenty three and twenty four. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful. And then listen to this. He will surely do it. It's there like there's no question that your sanctification has been granted to you. One more. This is Colossians 2, 18 and 19. Um, just showing you that your sanctification is from God. He says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, which is just kind of like keeping yourself from things like fasting all the time. Never. It's just asceticism. You're you're 
hurting your body or you're keeping your body from things. Um, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism or worship of angels, going into detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. So don't let people disqualify you thinking that righteousness comes through doing stuff um, and not holding fast to the head. Righteousness comes by holding fast to the head, who is Jesus, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments. Listen to this. The whole body, which is who we are, grows with a growth that is from God. So your growth is from God. Now, I know I've already read that that thing from sanctification. It's God and man. And we're going to talk about the man side in a second. But let's just be clear from the very beginning. I don't want you to misunderstand me at all. Your sanctification has been completely granted to you already. Um, now. Let's let's look at just a couple other things there in three and four before we get to the next one. Um, He's called us into his own glory. He's granted to us these precious promises that this has already happened so that through them. Now, this is kind of an interesting little little phrase, and this is kind of a side note, but I just want to make sure you understand it. Um, This partakers of the divine nature. This is talking about our future glorification. Glorification just means that whenever we finally are in heaven, we, we will sin no longer. We will be in heaven and we will be glorified. Now, when we hear that, we're like, oh, that means I'll be worshipped. I'll have glory. That sounds good to me. That's not what it means. Um, so um, go ahead and erase that thought. What it means is um, Christ is perfect and we are not. But one day when we get to heaven, we will be made like Christ in that we are no longer sinners, but we will be glorified in that we are no longer sinners but made like jesus but that's not for our glory because it's for his glory who are we being made like we're being made like jesus well he was perfect therefore he gets all the glory not us so that's just talking about so when we see here that you may become partakers of the divine nature um, this partaking of the divine nature doesn't mean that you're going to partake divinity or partake uh, deity or god likeness in a way that you become a little god You're not going to become God ever. Um, So what he's saying here, Calvin says uh, he's not talking about essence, but he's talking about quality. We are not actually going to become a little God, but we're instead we'll have a quality like God. We'll we'll become him in that like him in that we will be perfected. So that's what it means. All right. Keep going. Having escaped. This is pretty interesting. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So, again, another promise there that we for sure, are going to escape corruption that, that is in us because of our sinful desires, because of our corrupt human nature, um, because of the fall. So now that we've, gr- we've already grounded that, we, we know for sure that we are absolutely going to be sanctified. It's already done. Like, it's done. Here it is. Look at just the first seven words of verse 5. For this very reason, this very reason is what we just talked about. It's for sure granted you are going to be sanctified for that reason that it's done. (laughs) This always is so funny. Make every effort. Wait a second. What do you mean make every effort? I thought it's done. If it's done, do I need to do anything? You're telling me to make every effort. And look what he even says. Make every effort to supplement your faith with. And then he has these little seven things. Virtue and knowledge and self-control. So I want you to kind of feel the tension here. And we just got to kind of learn to live with this. Now, as I draw out this tension for you, don't 
have like temporary amnesia and forget everything I just said with number one. All right. Don't do that. Look, look what he says. I want you to I want you to feel this. Um, if God has granted me all I need for godliness. Well, then do I need to make every effort? If he's already granted me everything I need for godliness, do I need to make, make every effort? Or we can say it this way. If I have to make effort in godliness, then has God actually granted to me everything for life and godliness? Yes, that's your answer. There's tension in that. Like, I, I, There's no other explanation. God has granted to us holiness, verse 3. Therefore, for that reason, since it's done, you need to make effort. And this effort means I got to do something. Is it done or do I have to do something? Do you, do you feel that tension there? Um, so let's, let's look at, here's the second uh, remark regarding sanctification I want to make here. Here's the second one. You must pursue your sanctification with every degree of strength you have. You must pursue your sanctification with every degree of strength you have. So, um, how, how does that work? I don't, I don't, I don't understand. Because this is kind of confusing. If it's already been granted, why do I have to make every effort? And and really, how does that actually look? What does it look like as I make every effort? Am I actually doing something? Um, what does that look like? One of the best answers, I think, of how these two things, where this little tension I'm trying to draw out, how God really makes this actually work out. Because here's the deal. Let's, let's just, if, if we're actually doing something, we're doing it at the end when we're more sanctified, when we get into heaven, we can say, you know, that part of my sanctification, I did that. Where's my, where's, I know we're going to sing to Jesus for a little while um, here in heaven, but let's just for 1% of the time talk about me and my little deal, how I got myself sanctified. I did a little bit, right? Um, that's, that's the logical conclusion you can go to. And that's not going to happen. It's all going to be like all praises to God. Never going to like we're never going to say and Fud, you did that one little work. Let's just we'll give you a half a chorus and then we'll get back to Jesus. Um, but since you did that, that's not how it's going to work. It's all Jesus. So then if it's all Jesus and it's already been granted, but I have to do something. How does that work? And I think Paul gives us the best explanation in the Bible that I've seen of one of the best answers, I should say. Um, and it's written in Philippians. We, we can go ahead and flip over to that. It's just about um, 15 pages to the left. Go ahead and look at Philippians chapter two. And there's two verses um, <clears throat> in Philippians two where I think. Paul explains how this tension that Peter's drawing out for us in 2 Peter 1 actually works. Who's doing the work? Is it me or is it God? All right. Let's look at, uh, let's look at these two verses here. 2 Peter. All right. Look at 12 and 13. 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence... But much more in my absence. That little thing just means Paul's not with the Philippians. And he's, he's kind of exhorting them to obey the promises, obey the commands of God. He's not with them. He's in jail. They send him a gift. He's not with them. And so he says, um, work out. Now, this is, this is an interesting little phrasing here. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So here we see in verse 12, um, an exhortation from Paul Two Christians regarding sanctification, and he's telling them, much like verse 5 over in 2 Peter 1, work out. Not work for, but work out. Work out your salvation <clears throat> with fear and trembling. Now, 
That's just kind of a repeat of verse five. Make every effort and, and saying it a different way. Now, 13 is going to actually tell us how this works. Like this is the best verse we have, I think, of how this actually happens. Here it is. For it is God who works in you. Now, we've just been told in verse 12 that we're supposed to work our salvation out. And then he tells us in 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So you're exhorted and told to work. And then what 13 is telling us is that every time you work, every effort you make, if you will, from verse five, from second Peter one, every time you work, every time you do it in actuality, verse 13, it is God who works in you both to will and to work. So your desire to do the work, God planted that desire to do it. And then your action to actually do it whenever you're really doing the work, God planted that action in you for you to do it. So here we are. God has granted sanctification. We know that's for sure, but we also have to do a work. And our desire to do the work and our ability to do the work has been granted to God by God that it would happen. Now, that means he gets all the glory. That means that's why we're not going to ha- sing half a chorus to in, any of us because we did work. Because when you do it, your desire to do it and your ability to do it was given to you by God. But let's just be really clear. You still have to do it. That's what it looks like. It's all God. He gets all the glory. Your desire to do it and your ability to do it is from him. So after you do it, you can't say, all right, yeah, look what I did. No, no, no. God did that. But you still have to do it. And when you do it, you say, to God be the glory. The only way I did that was because of Jesus. All right, so back to this, uh, back to this point number two. Here's the deal. Um... Whenever we're thinking through, at least in my mind, whenever I'm thinking through this second point, which is, oh, I got to make every effort. Oh, I got to do it. It just sometimes in my heart seems so hard to do and I have the wrong or I have the wrong heart about it. And here's the deal. None of this is supposed to be anything but a joy. None of it's supposed to be anything but a joy. Um, the ESV study Bible, some of you have those commenting on this little section of scripture in second Peter says this, this is not a legalistic code. This, this make every element supplement your faith with these things. This is not a legalistic code, but rather um, the desires and features of a transformed heart. Whenever your heart has been transformed, these things, these seven virtues, which we're going to go over are desires and features. You are going to have a heart that wants to be um, virtuous, that wants to be self-controlled, that wants to be steadfast, that wants to be loving. Um, these are features of a transformed heart. Um, Kevin DeYoung, he's a, a pastor um, up, in, up in the north. He says this. Um, he says, if justification, that's when you come to Christ, feels like good news and sanctification feels like punishment, it's not Christianity. Like, sanctification is a joy. It is a joy to be sanctified. It, it's hard. I'm not saying it's hard, but in the end, it's an absolute joy. So we are talking about a joy in pursuing Jesus. It is great to pursue Christ. And let's just be really clear. When we say make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, knowledge, self-control, I'm not saying, oh, here's a big list of stuff. Pursue stuff. I'm saying 
pursue Jesus and these things happen. So let's just be really clear. I'm not saying pursue rules, pursue a list. I'm saying pursue Christ. And then that's how you supplement your faith. So it is a absolute joy to be to do this. So just to kind of summarize point number two with another quote from from Kevin DeYoung, he says this sanctification is from God, which we saw in Philippians two and by faith. But unlike justification, it is not by faith alone. Justification is by faith alone. Sanctification is by faith alone. Yes, but also we know that it's from God by faith. But we still have to do it. Like in the end, you have to do something to be sanctified. All right. The reason why I say that is this. Back to the initial story. I think some of us, when we come to Christianity, say this really seems like a big commitment level. (laughs) I got to do all this stuff. I got to stop doing all this stuff. That's not the decisive factor in your justification. Faith in Jesus and his work on the cross is. That's the decisive ultimate thing, whether you're going to be for sure justified or not. But, yes. And, And when you do it, God did it. But yes, you have to do it. Now, here's the third. Here's the third point. And it's just kind of. Straight from the text here, and this really tags on to second, that second one. All right, your, the third thing is this regarding sanctification. Your pursuing sanctification looks like these things, and you can see these things um, in verses 5 through 7. There's a list, uh, and we love lists. We're a little legalists, and give me a list, and then I'm going to do those seven things. And we're going to say, all right, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. Got that list. That's what I needed. Thank you for finally providing my list for me, Fud. I am going to do my list. And whenever I see these seven things done, then I'm finally good. And I know I'm sanctified because I did my list. Well, um, bad news for you. Bad, bad news for you. This is Peter's list. Um, there's, I can find at least right now, kind of in, in a quick little search, another three lists. Um, you got Galatians 5 where he says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Um, Against th- such things there is no law. In Colossians 3, we have another thing where he says, put on then as God's chosen and holy ones who are holy and beloved. Those are the things that are true of you. He tells you to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If anyone has a complaint with another, forgiving one another as the Lord is forgiving you. And above all these things, put on love, which binds together everything in perfect harmony. That's another little list for you. In Ephesians 4, it says, Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the high of the calling to which you have been called with humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with another in love, eager to maintain unity in the spirit of the body. So like we can find lists all over the place. So the goal is not the list. Like, don't just think I got these seven things. That's how I'm going to do it. This is Peter's list. Paul has three there, and I'm sure we can find some others in some other places. So um, my whole point in saying here's a list is saying these seven things are not the exhaustive seven things of holiness. There are more. There's a whole lot more. But here's a list. And you're, that's why I say you're pursuing sanctification looks like these things. And there's more. In Galatians 5, Colossians 2, Ephesians 4, um, there's more. And here they are. This is this list, though. This is the text we're in today. So we're going to look at these seven. But there's more. All right. The first one is virtue, which just means moral goodness or excellence. You're you're to be virtuous. The next thing is knowledge. um, What's necessary for acting wisely. The scripture is a good place to start with that, by the way. Um, Self-control, just having discipline. Um, 
It's amazing how many of us, including myself, just lack self-discipline or self-control in a lot of areas. But a follower of Christ who's being sanctified exercises self-control. Steadfastness, that's being steady in your walk. Man, these things are so intertwined as well. Godliness, that's just holiness. Um, Brotherly affection. Affection for the children of God. Brotherly affection. So this is, um, in these last two, you'll see where he's talking about love and he's he's kind of starting in a small place and then he widens it out. Um, This first one is brotherly affection. This is deep affection for those who are in your family, faith family, those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he next says love, which is kind of widening it out. Not just those who are in the faith family who are Christians, but love for all people. Um, these are things that that are should be in our life whenever we're we're Christians. So your sanctification looks like these things, but there's more. This is them. This is the ones in this text. All right. So just to kind of make sure that you're seeing this, um, he says, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with these things. So as point number two told us, we have to do these things. We should have these things in our life now. Um, You're going to see here in verse 8, verse 9, and verse 10, a little phrase that says these qualities. For if these qualities, verse 8, you can go to verse 9, whoever lacks these qualities. And in the very end of verse 10, if you practice these qualities, every time you see that word these qualities, Peter's just kind of pointing us back to verses 5 through 7 and talking about those seven things. All right, so that's just obvious. Um, But let's let's keep going. We're going to get to our our fourth one here in just a second. The fourth one's going to come from eight and nine. Let's look at eight and nine. For if these qualities are yours, those seven things, and if you want to fill in Galatians five and Colossians two and Ephesians four and whatever list you come up with. Yes. Um, For if these qualities are yours, look at this, and are increasing. So they're yours and you're also becoming more like these things every day. You're pursuing steadfastness every day. You're becoming more steadfast. You're becoming more loving. You're having more brotherly affection for those who are in the, who are in the faith. They keep you. So, man, this is such great language. Um, God wrote it. But um, they keep you from being ineffective. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we, we can see this. This warning here, we have to have these qualities. And if we don't, then we're going to find ourselves being ineffective. We're going to find ourselves being unfruitful. We don't want that, right? As Christians, we want to be used by God. Whoever lacks these qualities, verse 9, whoever lacks these qualities that we just saw is so nearsighted. He's so nearsighted. That means you can only see what's right here. That he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed points you straight back to the gospel. Points you right back to the gospel. Side note, I know I say this all the time, but the gospel is not something that you come to once in order to be saved. But as a believer, you return to every single day to remind yourself of who you are. I think it was Luther. I read it this week. Luther said, um, I tell myself the gospel every day because I forget the gospel every day. Something like that. Um, we, we forget the gospel every single day, which is you are cleansed from your former sins. You are completely cleansed. You, you are so blind that you are. <clears throat> here's what I mean. Um, I've got, as I said, I've got. Well, I didn't say I have four children. Um, <laughs> my only son, he's three. And so 
Every once in a while, we'll go to a restaurant. Uh, Nishi G's. Man, my wife loves Nishi G's. You want to? You want her to love you? You take her to Nishi G's. But anyway, um, so we go to Nishi G's, and they have. They just, I guess, you know love to give you condiments. And so instead of giving you little packets, they put this huge bottle on the table. And every time we go there, this happens every single time. Um, we, they put this huge ketchup bottle, which has, you know, the little point so you can just turn it over and squeeze it. It's not one of those like turn it off things and shake kind of deals. It's got a little point. So you just turn it over and squeeze it. My son, every single time we go there, um, whenever we're not looking, because he's really sneaky. I mean, that boy is sneaky. Whenever, uh, whenever he gets it, he'll put some stuff on there and then he'll have it. And then he'll look around and he'll take the bottle and he'll just start sucking on the top of it, you know. And so what do I do? Put it there and don't tell anybody. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I take it and I take it back up to the lady. I mean, every time um, my son, he's three, just want to let you know it was him, not me. He sucked on the top of this bottle. And so I'm sure you want to clean it. Now, I don't know what they do after that. So they might just put it back on the table. So you're at your own risk whenever you go to Nishi G's. But um, (laughs) uh, the thing is, is I tell him every time, Aiden, don't do that. You're not supposed to put your mouth on the top of the bottle. This is a restaurant. Everybody wants to use this. Don't do that. Please, next time, and what happens the next time we come to Nishiji's? He's sneaky. I'm not looking. We got four kids. I mean, we're, we're playing zone defense. He takes it and he's just sucking on the bottle again. I'm like, Aiden, no. So, anyway, here's my point. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted. Here's what happens. If you forget that you have been cleansed and that you're not doing these things, this is what he's saying. Basically, You're like a three-year-old that keeps forgetting how you're supposed to live based on the fact that you've already been cleansed completely. You've already been cleansed completely. If you don't walk in these qualities, you're like a three-year-old who forgets what's already been declared of you. You're cleansed. You're righteous. These things are not supposed to be, oh, how am I going to get it? It's been given to you. That's how. That's why it's a joy. And as you become those things, God did it. So, if you do these, if you don't do them, you're ineffective, you're unfruitful, and you're forgetting that you've already been cleansed. So here's the fourth one. Here's the fourth thing. Those that are being sanctified must be fruitful and effective for God. You must be fruitful. You must be effective. Because... They have been cleansed. It's based on the gospel. It's not based on your your hard work. It's always everything is everything is rooted in the gospel that you have been cleansed. But you must be effective. You must be fruitful. And you're going to be because you have been cleansed. Don't be the three year old that forgets that you've been cleansed. All right. So here's the convicting questions, you know, Let's revert back to Matthew 7 and get you all confused again. Um, <laughs> we're going to hopefully unconfuse you if you get confused. Um, would you look at your life right now and say that you're being fruitful? Would you look at, say right now in your life that you're being effective? And don't you realize what's been declared if you're in Christ of you? You are cleansed. Colossians 1.22 says that you are holy. You are blameless. I remember having a conversation once with a guy uh, named Andy in college. Um, he was just despairing about the fact that he is he had found himself in some sin. Um, Andy's a pastor now. He's a great guy. But um, anyway, he was despairing about his sin that he was in. <clears throat> and I remember just flipping the Holy Spirit. 
I flipped to Colossians 1. I had actually been memorizing some, some Colossians 1 at that time. Um, and memorize scripture. The Lord uses it. And so I flip over to Colossians 1. And I just open up Colossians 1 to him. Um, I was in the, the NIV, the non-inspired version. That's a joke. That's a joke. Um, the elect standard version is what we use. I'm just kidding. The English standard version. So anyway, I remember being in Colossians 2. What's wrong with me? Um, he has reconciled. I remember reading this to him. Andy. You're so entrenched in sin. Listen to this. He has reconciled us in his body of flesh in order to present you, Andy, holy and blameless above reproach before him. He's just so, so distraught over his sin. And I remember just reading to him, Andy, right now you are holy. You are blameless and above reproach before him. And tears just start filling his eyes as he, just like Luther said, he reminds himself of the gospel. This sin does not define me. What Christ has done on the cross defines me. And just joy overcomes his heart at this moment. And so it's, we have to constantly remind ourselves that we have been cleansed of our former sins. If you are ineffectual, uh, ineffective, if you are not fruitful for, right, for God right now, realize the gospel and what has been declared of you, that you are right now holy. You are right now blameless. Those are the things that we need to hear. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So we don't, Continue living in sin. We have been cleansed. Therefore, we find ourselves being fruitful. We find ourselves being effective. So are you. We shouldn't let sin rule over us. Um, Calvin, John Calvin, said it this way. He's commenting on this text. He said, the blood of Christ has not become a washing bath to us. Um, basically, he's saying, we haven't come to Christ and been, and been washed, cleansed of our, free from our sin Um, that it may be fouled by our filth. We haven't been cleansed in order to just find ourselves continuing in sin and getting dirty again. He says, the the blood of Christ is not becoming a washing bath to us, that it may be fouled by our filth. He therefore calls them old sins, by which he means that our life ought to be otherwise formed. We shouldn't have those sins anymore. It should be otherwise formed. Because we have been cleansed from our sins, not that anyone can be pure from every sin while he lives in this world, or that the cleansing we obtain through Christ consists of pardon only, or forgiveness, but that we ought to differ from the unbelieving, as God has separated us for himself, sanctified us, separated us for himself. Though then we daily sin, God daily forgives us, and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all of our sins, yet sin ought not to rule in us, but the sanctification of the Spirit ought to prevail in us. Man, that is such an awesome quote. I love that quote. We have been sanctified, so sin does not rule over us anymore. Um, and it's an absolute joy. This, this is how Spurgeon, Spurgeon's awesome. You need to Read some Spurgeon if you have it. Charles Spurgeon, 100 years ago, pastor in England. This is how he speaks of the transformation. And just notice the language of the absolute joy in which he has now in Christ. This is what he says. When I thought God was hard, I found it easy to sin. But when I found God so kind, so good, so overflowing with compassion, I smote upon my breast. I beat my breast to think that I could have 
ever rebelled against one who loved me so much and sought my good. Man, that's so good. Knowing Christ, being forgiven by Him, means that we will not want to rebel against Him. Instead, we won't be ineffective, we won't be unfruitful, because we have been cleansed. We must be effective. We must be fruitful. That's, that's a remark regarding sanctification. You will find yourself being more fruitful and more effective for Christ. Because you have been cleansed. Alright, so let's go down to the fifth one. And this is, this is starting at verse 10. 10 and 11. Um, this is what he says. Therefore, and as I've said, anytime you see a therefore, you need to stop and say, what's this therefore, therefore? And he's saying, this therefore is based on everything we just heard in 1 through 9. Or really, 3 through 9. Um, well, 1 through 9. Brothers, <clears throat> be all the more diligent. Notice that. Since he's just reminded you of the gospel, now he's going to revert back over to saying, be diligent. All right. Be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. Make your calling and election sure. Now, I know you're thinking, yeah, the reformed guy loves these verses with with calling and election. Actually, the, the more phrase is be all the more diligent. Like that's the bigger phrase here. Be all the more diligent um, to make sure. Make your calling and election sure. Make sure. And then look at this. For If, man, the if is there. It really is there. If you practice these qualities. And again, these qualities are that little list he made in seven. And you can fill in all your other lists from the other places. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Man, really says that, doesn't it? There's tension and we have to live with it. It has been granted. And if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Or you can just say it. If you practice these qualities, you show that you are in Christ and that you were really saved or justified in the very beginning. And I know he uses the word fall, but he's grasping for language just like we are. All right. The the infinite is speaking to the finite. And whenever that happens, um, there isn't because language of in itself is finite. Language doesn't do justice to describe the infinite ever. Because language is finite. So here we are. Um, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. If, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you can see the promise right here that you will inherit eternal life with Jesus. All right, so here's the fifth one. Those that are being sanctified show that they're truly saved. And and the promise, this is an awesome promise regarding sanctification. You will live eternally with Jesus like it is promised to you. One day you will not struggle anymore. You will finally be rid of the corrupt human nature and your human nature will be made completely like Christ's human nature and you will not sin anymore. And you have the promise of heaven. You will be in heaven finally sinning no more. So, the one thing that I want you to see here is this, though. Be all the more diligent. Be all the more diligent. Practice. Make sure. That's the language of those verses. And when you do, you are richly provided an entrance into heaven. So here's the point. Here's the, here's the point I want you to take away. Because we've been talking about sanctification. Um, and 
I don't want you to be a nominal Christian, but I don't want you to be a Christian that thinks that I have to work in order to have a right standing with Jesus. It has been granted. Your life must have a pattern of actually working hard and walking with your life with Christ. Because <laughs> you always have to put something in when you say something like that, because you're like, I got to work for my salvation. No, because your holiness has already been given to you. It's already been granted. Everything you need in regard to life and godliness has been granted. So I don't know where you are this morning in regard to justification or sanctification. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about when I'm saying sanctification. Or you understand cognitively, but you're not there because you're not actually a believer or truster in Jesus yet. And so I just want to invite you to put your faith in Christ and what he did for you on the cross for your sins this morning and be justified, be saved, be forgiven, be declared holy, be declared righteous before him because he died the death that you deserved and that I deserved. And you don't have to die if you put your faith in him. And for those of you that are Christians, same exact exhortation. Believe and trust in his finished work on the cross that you are justified, that you are righteous. Trust that everything's been granted to you in life and godliness. And now live that out. Live that out. I don't want you to make any mistake here. I'm not promising instant freedom from your sin. Not at all. In one sense. Because we have instant freedom from our sin. But sanctification is a process and it's going to take a while to gain victory over indwelling sin, as Romans calls it, indwelling sin. But there's absolute comfort in knowing that even though you haven't gained it in one certain sense, you have already been given it. And the promise of verse 11, you will be richly provided. I mean, we're grasping at language here, but Peter is calling heaven rich. I mean, it's like infinitely better than what we can describe. Infinitely better. You'll be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is a joy that is marvelously beautiful to be finally entering into the kingdom of our Lord and our Savior, the one whom we love more than anyone in the world. We're going to be with him. So what else could be our right response right now other than worship? Praise God. Praise God that he has already granted to us everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. We can't boast at all. He's, as verse 3 says, called us in to his own glory. And that's what he's doing this morning as we worship. He's calling you in right now into his own glory to revel in his glory, to love and find your highest joy in his glory and his grace, and then to reflect that out to this world. That's so awesome. So in the end, Jesus is the absolute hero of the story. He gets all the glory and it's our joy as we pursue sanctification if you have any questions, please come talk to me later. Um, if I've just thoroughly confused you, which I pray that I wouldn't, 
Um, I would love to have a conversation with you later on if you're like, tell me how this mystery tension thing works out. I want to talk to you. But before we get to the end of the service, right now, I think our right response is, let's stand. And as we're being drawn in to his own glory, let's, let's allow ourselves to be drawn into that glory and just reflect back to him the glory which he deserves for sanctifying us completely and letting us go through this process of sanctification as well. And give him the glory that he's due. And if you don't know Christ, I invite you to um, talk with me or, or talk with someone that you came with during the service or after the service. Let me, let me read you this one sentence and then we're going we're gonna to worship. Let the weight of this phrase drive down deep into your heart and be the catalyst that calls you into his glory. You ready for this? You've heard it already. You have been cleansed from all your sin. Not only the sin, but the guilt you feel for that sin. You've been cleansed from it all. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would use my my attempt at preaching your word to stir affections for your son Jesus right now in our hearts to encourage us to exhort us to pursue sanctification with everything we have and in the end knowing that as we will to act and actually act that we see that it's you that has done that and we reflect back to you the glory for it but Lord Grant to us a deep walk with Christ. We all want it. We don't want to be nominal Christians who are on the fence on whether this is a commitment we want to make to really pursue after Christ with our life. We, we don't want that. But we see it as such hard work and justification as a joy and sanctification as a burden. And that's not sanctification. It's a joy. So help us all see that it's a joy because we have been cleansed. And be with us now as we worship God. May we just revel in the grace, this scandalous grace that you have granted horrific sinners like us, that we are one day going to be partakers of the divine nature. That is so amazing. Your gospel is so amazing. Be with us now as we worship. In Jesus' name, amen.